Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingas shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss the value of having fun within a business the way products differ from region to region, and the continued importance of connecting with your customers with meaningful, customized communications. Playing, placing, and personalizing. Oh my! We're excited to give you an overview of an important book you should know about, as well as share some of our favorite passages as part of our next book report. When was the last time you played at work, Dan? Well, you know, working for oneself might provide additional opportunities, but uh, I feel like maybe you'd be asking this about when I worked in corporate America and actually had a boss and a team and all that. And while I don't remember the last time exactly, I, the one that sticks out to me that, that my employees still talk to me about is the time where I did our off-site team strategy meeting at Chuck E. Cheese. And we had the best time. Everybody was playing games. We were eating pizza and we got a little work done. And people remember it all these years later. I love it, love it, love it. And it is a perfect iteration. If you had to guess, Dan, how long ago was that ballpark? Uh, Probably seven years ago. Seven years ago. You're still thinking about it positively. Former teammates that were at Chuck E. Cheese with you are thinking about it positively, which is a perfect segue into our conversation about today's book report. Our book report comes to us from my good friend and amazing entrepreneur, Christy Harold. Christy is the founder and CEO of Jam a company based in Toronto, Canada. And I've known Christy for years and have been eagerly waiting for her to put all of her wisdom and insight into a book. And now she's done it. The book is called It Pays to Play, How Play Improves Business Culture. Here's Christy with a quick overview of the book. At JAM, we connect people through play. We are one of the world's largest adult recreational sport league providers And we help corporate teams connect through play in order to help improve workplace culture. Suffice to say, I've learned a lot about what it takes to have a strong, healthy workplace culture. I do believe that having a mission, vision, purpose, and values are absolutely key pillars. However, if your team is not connected and engaged to bring those pillars to life, then it doesn't much matter. My book, It Pays to Play, will explain that organizations that provide opportunities for employees to playfully connect, bond, and build friendships will see improvements in retention, engagement, and innovation. Intentional play at work creates a culture that benefits all employees' physical and mental health and the company's bottom line. It Pays to Play is a rich resource filled with ideas for play at work, whether they be in person, hybrid, or remote, 
And the book illustrates how the return on investment from play is multifaceted and exponential. When you read my book, I hope you'll learn the ways play can be easily and affordably implemented regardless of your industry, benefiting everyone from the most junior employee to the C-suite right through to the end customer. It truly does pay to play. I definitely agree. It truly does pay to play. And I remember lots of times at work where we just had fun together. And when you are able to have fun with your colleagues and get to know them as people and maybe even form friendships, it just makes going to work that much more fun. And, you know, we spend so much time at work, we might as well like the people that we work with. And so I do think this idea of taking time out to intentionally add some play into the workday is very smart. I agree, Dan. And you know, it's interesting. If folks think back to when you were telling the story about Chuck E. Cheese, the first thing you said, you said, oh, we had this strat- uh, you know, offsite meeting at Chuck E. Cheese and we played games. And then you kind of talked about the other things you did. You started with playing games, which I think is really fascinating in terms of how it triggers our memories and triggers our experiences and is really the substance of the message in Christie's book. I got to say what I love most about this book is that it's a playbook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you did there, Joey. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, but I think many people know that they need to instill more fun and playfulness at work, but they struggle with the how to do that in a meaningful way. The great thing about this book is that it gives you dozens and dozens of examples and ideas for infusing more play into your operations. There's an appendix at the end of the book that lists a variety of options for play, including activities like training for an event together, like a 5K, or creating social sports teams, kind of intramural teams within your organization, and even bringing back recess via a 20-minute break every day where your team steps outside to go for a walk or throw a ball or play some Frisbee golf. The book also offers some less traditional ideas for play, including sharing Spotify playlist or hosting an office talent show and even playing office Olympics with special events that can be done inside the office using office tools and products. In fact, there is an entire chapter on how play creates happier customers. Harold opens the chapter by citing research from Gallup that shows that, quote, happy and engaged employees are more likely to improve customer relationships, resulting in a 20% increase in sales, unquote. There are definitely a number of parts that I really enjoyed in this book, but one particular passage resonated with me. So here it goes. I am quoting. Friendship is a key to greater engagement. Making time for play is incredibly powerful because that's when friendships form. And when friendships develop, connections build. When employees are strongly bonded, they're much more inclined to help one another out. They want to support their teammates. And so they show up in a way that's much more present and engaged. Sometimes you'll find team members having friendly competitions over who can make the most sales. Or if a profit-sharing plan is in place, employees will feel even more compelled to make the business a better place for everyone because they know all will benefit. There's no end to the advantages that come with workplace friendships. And fostering a workplace culture where these types of bonds are free to develop is a lot simpler than many business leaders realize. Uh, Preach, Dan, and preach, Christy. So true. And I think many businesses 
understand the importance of work friends, uh, work spouses, you know, work colleagues, how we can create that kind of camaraderie within our organization. Little did we know that creating opportunities for play was a way to accelerate those relationships. My favorite passage was all about the infectious nature of play and how it can spill over from your employees onto your customers. And I quote, Happier teams create sunnier interactions. When people are happier in the workplace, they deliver better service. What makes people happier? There are a lot of things that go into ensuring our people are happy at work. But one very easy one is having laughs together. The endorphins released in our bodies when we have a laugh promote an overall sense of well-being. As a manager, when you encourage your team to make some time for laughs, you foster a happier group of employees who will be happier providing service to your customers as well. With customer-facing roles, you better believe the customer at the other end of the phone or video call can tell whether or not an employee is happy in their job. We've all been customers ourselves, and we all know what it's like when speaking with someone who is not a happy camper. Not a good time for anyone involved. On the flip side, we all know what a positive and fun experience it can be when we are talking to someone who is clearly very happy and engaged with their job. Happy employees who see their jobs as fun and worthwhile will serve their clients more enthusiastically, creating superior customer experiences. I know we've probably said a couple of these things before, but I think they bear repeating. The first is that it is almost impossible for an employee to provide a great experience to a customer if they don't know what one is like. And one of the best ways that we can create experiences for our employees is to make it a fun place to work. And then that does translate because the second thing is that we know that happy employees equal happy customers. Now, I look at it with a slightly different math equation because I prefer actually the infinity loop as the metaphor because customer experience and employee experience continue to feed on each other. The better the employee experience is, the better the customer experience is going to be. And when our customers are happy, it makes our employees' jobs easier and more fun to do. So then they're in an even better mood and on and on we go. So I think what she's saying here is absolutely 100% true. And I even love the the allusion to, you know, we've all been in front of somebody who, you know, it looks like you're interrupting their otherwise pleasant day by wanting to place a fast food order, right? And that completely affects how we experience the rest of the meal. So true, Dan. I mean, at the end of the day, the more play there is, the more we're interested in playing. And I think the more we're interested in playing, the more positive the interactions are going to be. You know, I always think it's nice when we let the author share their favorite passage last in the segment, because I think it gives us insight as to what they think is the best part of the book or the best outcome that someone can achieve by implementing the suggestions in the book. Christy Harold's favorite passage is no exception and points to an important benefit of play for employees and customers alike. Play improves health. According to studies conducted by the Mayo Clinic, combining your exercise regimen with play by enjoying highly social sports like tennis or soccer will add five to 10 years to your life. We all know that exercise on its own offers great benefits for your cardiovascular health, blood sugar levels, bone strength, endurance, weight, mood, and so much more. 
But the Mayo Clinic saw that physical activity isn't the only factor to consider. When you add a social component, as well as a measure of fun, you get better results than you would from exercise alone. Working out in your home gym or taking power walks on your own at lunch is great. Pretty much any type of exercise will benefit your health. But varying up your exercise to include play, which in turn means engaging and interacting with others, can literally add years to your life. But what does this have to do with your employees? Everything. The fact is that more fun in the workplace leads to lower staff turnover and less time off sick. A survey of 2,000 employees in the UK found that 62% of those who engaged in fun activities at work had taken no sick days in the last three months. When your employees enjoy improved physical and mental health, they're going to perform better. They'll be happier personally and professionally, have higher levels of energy, and embrace the right mental outlook to tackle whatever workplace challenges come their way. Adding five to 10 years of life sounds great to me, which is why I recommend you go pick up a copy of It Pays to Play, How Play Improves Business Culture by Christy Harold. And if you're interested in identifying more opportunities for play in your business operations, we would love to support you. We have purchased copies of It Pays to Play because we think it's such a great and important book, and we would love to share them with some of you. So send us an email, dan at dangingas.com or joey at joeycoleman.com or both if you want to say hi to both of us. And we will help you find more ways to play at work. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. Dan, how much time do you spend on TikTok? You know, Joy, I hate to disappoint you because I know I'm supposed to be the social (laughs) media guy of this group, but very, very little time. Well, I got to say, Dan, with the conversation I'd love us to have in this segment, I don't think I'm going to be disappointed in you revealing that at all. In fact, I think it's something folks need to think a little bit more about. Thanks to a post on LinkedIn by our mutual friend, Brian Solis, who's the global innovation evangelist at Salesforce, I recently learned about a stark difference between the TikTok that users experience in China, where TikTok was created, and the version that users experience everywhere else in the world. Now, the clip that we're about to share comes from an interview on the show 60 Minutes the oldest and most watched news magazine on television. The conversation is between Bill Whitaker from 60 Minutes and Tristan Harris, the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology. Let's listen in. Harris says the version that's served to Chinese consumers called Douyin is very different from the one available in the West. In their version of TikTok, if you're under 14 years old, They show you science experiments you can do at home, museum exhibits, patriotism videos, and educational videos. And they also limit it to only 40 minutes per day. Now, they don't ship that version of TikTok to the rest of the world. So it's almost like they recognize that technology is influencing kids' development, and they make their domestic version a spinach version of TikTok, while they ship the opium version to the rest of the world. The version served to the West has kids hooked for hours at a time. The impact, Harris says, is predictable. 
There's a survey of preteens in the U.S. and China asking what is the most aspirational career that you want to have. And the U.S., the number one was influencer. Social media influencer. And in China, the number one was astronaut. Again, you allow those two societies to play out for a few generations, I can tell you what your world is going to look like. TikTok tells us it gives American users tools to limit screen time. But those tools are entirely voluntary. You know, Joey, I, I have to bring up that we talked about TikTok bringing old things to life with the viral skateboarding Fleetwood Mac video back in Season 6, Episode 112. But this is certainly a little bit different than that. It is, and that was a fun segment that was definitely more playful in reference to our last segment. But the TikTok example here, or at least the way TikTok is being used differently around the world, I think is a little more cautionary. And it's not just TikTok that we need to be paying attention to. Tristan Harris was formerly a design ethicist at Google, where he studied how to ethically steer people's thoughts. Now, everybody listening to this podcast is involved in creating experiences. And often when we're creating experiences, we're trying to create a specific emotional response or reaction with our prospects or customers, whether that's through our emails, our messaging, our ad campaigns, how we answer the phone, whatever it may be. We're in some ways trying to manipulate folks' thoughts and emotions. The question is, to what end? And the reason this segment stood out so much to me is it's clear that China's approach to this app is very different as it relates to their own citizens versus the rest of the world. And I wonder if marketers today and customer experience professionals today are really thinking about the responsibility they have when it comes to messaging and, and being ethical and conscious in that messaging. You know, this actually reminds me of my visit to Singapore uh, a number of years ago, one of my favorite cities. And, you know, they too have some cultural ways of thinking that are maybe different from other nations. But one of the things that came out that I thought was so interesting was they built this gigantic casino called the Marina Bay Sands Casino. And this is the one, if you've ever seen a picture of Singapore, you've seen these three buildings. It looks like there's a giant boat sitting on top of the buildings. That's the casino. And of course, I, I wanted to check it out when I was there because it is such a... I mean, you, you can't miss it, right? Well, it turns out that gambling is kind of frowned upon in Singapore. And so they came up with a very creative solution that, again, I think, you know, you could question this one way or another. And I, I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to report the news. But because they don't uh, look at, at gambling particularly kindly, but they liked the idea of the Marina Bay Sands bringing in lots of revenue for Singapore, what they did is that when you walk into the casino, everyone has to show their passport. If you show a Singaporean passport, there is a $100 charge to walk into the casino. If you show any other passport, it's free. Interesting. And so clearly between the examples of TikTok in China 
and the casino in Singapore, we see two governments that are, for lack of a better way of putting it, would, would it be too bold to say protecting their citizens from themselves? Like, I, I, I want to be careful because I know that especially when we think about how countries operate, you know, the balance, especially here in the United States of freedom of choice versus government influence or government control is a regular hot button topic that seems to be even more of a hot button topic these days. But I do think there's something to be said for the fact that as humans, we don't always operate in our own best interest. And as corporations or organizations or governments, is there a responsibility or if not a responsibility, maybe an opportunity to be a little bit of a guardrail against those behaviors? Well, I do think this differs by culture for sure. And maybe we take an example that uh, is a little bit different. I'm thinking about Coca-Cola and specifically Diet Coke. Now, if you've traveled around the world you usually don't find anything called Diet Coke, but you might find Coke Light or you might find a version of Coke Zero, neither of which tastes like the versions in the United States. Now, I'm a belie- I believe that that is because people's tastes just are different. And so, you know, Coca-Cola Light tastes better to people where that's being served and Diet Coke tastes better to people where that's being served. And I don't think there's anything nefarious there. I think that it is playing to the needs and tastes and wants and desires of your audience. I think the question that maybe you're bringing up is when that decision is being made without the end user and their perspective, right? And so, again, I'm speaking a little bit over my head here. I don't know, for example, whether whether Coca-Cola has tested the American Diet Coke in other parts of the world and it didn't work very well, and that's why they changed the recipe, or if they just made a decision without asking anybody that, hey, everywhere but the United States, we're going to have Diet Coke that tastes different. I'm not sure, but I suspect that here, the end user probably wasn't asked, just like you know, Singaporeans probably weren't asked about their feelings of wanting to go to the casino. And I do think that's interesting. And I, I, and again, we're not here to judge one way or another, but I do think that it is important to be aware, especially if you're a company that does business in other countries, that things are not always perceived the same. The experiences are not always the same. And even something that one, that somebody finds really uh, exciting or pleasurable or positive in some way, say in North America, may not feel that same way in Asia. Well, and even if we break it down uh, within North America, the other example that was coming up for me is thinking about cigarette packaging. Not too long ago, I was in a duty-free store as I went from Canada back to the United States. And the packaging on Canadian cigarettes shows these just absolutely horrifying photos of sick people and people who have really experienced the negative consequences of choosing to smoke. And it's all over the packaging. Contrast that against the packaging in the United States where it's like, hey, by the way, the Surgeon General has said, probably not a good idea if you smoke. It's like such a little aside compared to these graphic images. And once again, there's that kind of push and pull between you know, things that are being mandated by the government versus organizations that are policing themselves. And I think when we pull back in this conversation and we look at social media, gambling, soda, and cigarettes, I think most people would agree that all four of those 
fall into a category of vices that you need to pay attention to. The question then becomes, what about businesses and the folks who are listening that don't work in those type of industries? Is there still an opportunity for us to think a little more deeply about the ethics of the communication and the experience we're creating and in a way, look out for our customers and guide them or help them to truly make the best decision for them, even if that decision means using less of our product or not using our product at all. You know, if you'd like to learn more about Tristan Harris and his work at the Center for Humane Technology, a good place to start is with his 2017 TED Talk about how tech companies are controlling billions of minds every day. Over 3 million people have watched his presentation, and it offers a great reminder about the responsibility we have when messaging and marketing to prospects and customers alike. In short, make sure that you think about the impact that your social media posts are going to have and pay attention to your activities that are designed to get customer attention. It's both possible and important to have good messaging with good intentions if we want to create good or even great experiences. Are you tired of not knowing the answer to customer questions? Do you wish everyone on your customer support team had a high level of subject matter expertise so they could respond to customers efficiently and accurately? If so, maybe it's time for you to swarm. Oh, cool. Sarah's doing a swarm about spotted lantern flies? That's pretty ironic. A swarm about insects? <laughs> okay, um, I should be able to help out with this. Let's see. Okay. The customer has purchased some of our environmentally friendly cleaning products and is now wondering if we have any ideas for getting rid of lantern flies that are eco-friendly. I see Alfonso is chiming in that you could use neem oil and, oh, there's Tiffany. Yeah, I thought she might have some thoughts on this. She's suggesting a bunch of different essential oils. No surprise there. I know that's really her thing. Oh, I know. I'll suggest milkweed. I know that that attracts lantern flies, and when they feed on the sap, well, let's just say it doesn't end that well for them. Oh, nice. Sarah liked my idea and is going to share it with the customer. That's cool. 30 minutes later. Oh, a, a voicemail from my supervisor, Todd. Let's see what he has to say. You have one new message. Hey, Jake. I just wanted to congratulate you on providing three awesome answers to swarm requests this week. And it's only Tuesday. You, Alfonso, and Tiffany are crushing it. And I'm going to share your successes and contributions with the senior leadership team at our meeting Thursday. You'll also be seeing a shout out in next week's kudos email. I just wanted you to know how much I appreciate your continued contributions. You're doing an amazing job. Well, isn't that a nice thing for Todd to say? Swarming is a framework that allows your support team to draw on the collective knowledge of your entire enterprise. Think of it like a beehive. When an agent initiates a swarm, Coveo's AI-powered software instantly identifies the best subject matter experts in your organization. These experts, think of them like bees, gather in a dedicated Slack channel to workshop a solution in real time. Like a group of bees, they collaborate to produce the best honey. Once they've identified the best answer, the bees go back to their other tasks, leaving behind not only the golden answer you seek, but a honeycomb-like framework that makes answering questions like this easier and faster next time. 
Swarming offers great insight about the most valuable contributors on your team and allows you to celebrate their commitment to delivering remarkable customer experiences. To find the sweet solutions your customer service team needs, visit get.coveo.com slash experience this. That's G-E-T dot C-O-V-E-O dot com slash experience this, where you can access an ebook with an overview of how swarming works and schedule a demo to see how swarming can help your team deliver better customer and agent experiences. Surveys, reports, studies, and reviews. There are some great resources that look at consumer behavior to find emerging trends and established patterns. We dig through the data and bring you the key takeaways in this edition of Inside the Numbers. All right, brace yourself, Dan. I know that you're normally the one who gets super excited about the Inside the Numbers segment. And today, I want to talk about an Inside the Numbers segment as well. Whoa, whoa, hold on a second while I pick myself up off the floor. Ah, ha, ha. Well, I usually just let you share all of the cool white papers and reports that we feature on Experience This. But I came across the eighth edition of the State of Marketing Report from Salesforce, and it had some interesting data that I wanted to discuss. Aha. Well, I happen to know this report, Joey Coleman, because we reviewed last year's edition back in season eight, episode 142. So I'm excited to see what has changed for 2022. You are just a Rolodex of past episode references. I love it. All right. For the eighth edition of the State of Marketing Report, Salesforce Research surveyed 6,000 marketing leaders worldwide to discover how marketers are evolving in the face of uncertainty and preparing for the retirement of third-party cookies, removing silos to enhance the customer experience, and innovating to meet changing customer needs. Mmm, cookies. (laughs) Well, as part of the reporting, they classified respondents by their performance into three categories. There were the high performers, the top 15%, the underperformers, which made up the bottom 18%, and the moderate performers who were the 67% in between. I wanted to share a few key findings and get your thoughts, Dan, and then we can dive into some specifics. One of the first findings was that innovative channels and tactics redefine customer engagement. Brands are investing in a combination of channels and technologies to reach their audiences and build lasting customer relationships. 83% of marketers say their marketing organizations engage customers in real time across one or more marketing channels. It actually sounds high, but I'm impressed with that because customers love technology. And when we're using technology for our customers to make for a better experience, everybody ends up happy. So I'm very encouraged to see that companies are really leaning into all this amazing technology that it's around us and trying to put it into the experience. I'm also impressed that they're doing it in real time as opposed to kind of the lagging response we often see from corporations. Having folks ready to respond at a moment's notice, I think is a wise investment. The next finding was that marketers walk the personalization versus privacy tightrope. Marketers are adapting to changes in privacy regulations and calls for data transparency. With the end of third-party cookies on the horizon, 
68% of marketers have a fully defined strategy to shift toward first-party data. And I'd once again like to point our uh, listeners back to Season 5, Episode 101, where we had an agree to disagree on privacy versus convenience, one that I am sure I won. But I have to say, today, this is definitely... I mean, we know that customers today will trade privacy for personalization. It's, it's actually less of a war than I think it used to be because people want the personalization. Now, the whole thing with the cookies, and just for those that don't know, cookies are little digital trails that you leave all around when you visit different websites and companies are able to capture them and sort of know where you've been on the uh, on the internet. So if you've ever, for example, been on a news site and seen an ad for a product that just happens to be sitting in your cart at some uh, e-commerce business, that's kind of cookies going on and, and retargeting. Uh, and so I do think there's some questions about this particular technology. It's getting a little bit old. But I do think that absolutely first-party data is going to be where it's at. And and higher and more forms of personalization are going to be what customers are going to demand. Well, and now let's dive deep into a few key data points that came out of the report. Email marketing still reigns supreme. According to Salesforce Marketing Cloud product data, based on trillions of message sends, email use has increased year over year, accounting for 80% of all outbound messaging. Moreover, the number of outbound emails increased 15% in the last year. When it comes to sheer volume of sends, email remains an effective digital channel. In fact, customers say that email is among their preferred channels to interact with brands, second only to the phone. I thought there are two really interesting things about this. Number one, yes, it was not just your imagination that you're getting more email. You are getting more email, trillions of emails, an increase in 15% from what you were receiving last year. But I also love that little shout out that email is the preferred channel second to the phone. Folks, don't just turn off the phones. We got to keep paying attention to the phones as well. For marketers, personalization is not just about targeted messaging, but hyper-personal understanding. According to Salesforce's research, 73% of customers expect companies to understand their unique needs and expectations. Exactly. I think maybe they said it a little bit better than I was trying to say it before, which is that customers want this personalization. And personalization by definition means about me, not like generic personalization, like dear first name, where you're personalizing it the same way for everyone. It's about personalizing it to my unique needs. You know, despite deadlines to phase out third-party cookies being postponed yet again, marketers are pivoting to zero and first-party data. Still, 75% of marketers say they rely at least in part on third-party data. While not all third-party data is cookie-related, marketers will need to reconcile this strategy with looming changes in privacy regulations. Now, I got to say again, I just want to stop here. First-party data means that it's coming directly from the customer, I believe, I do not know what zero-party data is. And so uh, if you don't either, uh, we got to go research this and come back and, and tell our uh, listeners. I do believe, and if anyone wants to reach in and correct us if I'm wrong on this, I think zero-party data is data that you actually have. 
So data that the organization doesn't really... It, it's data you've already collected oh, from like shopping your history. interactions. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, I exactly. Cool. I think I think that because it doesn't involve anybody else, you already had it, so you don't have to go out and get it anywhere else. I think what's interesting about this, again, is that it depends on where you're at. Increasingly, if you log on uh, to any website outside of the United States, when you're outside of the United States. I was in Ireland a few months ago and I was on websites where there's all kinds of permissions and screens that pop up say, well, what do you want to share? And you only have to share this little stuff and we'll stop them from taking everything else. I think those regulations are around privacy are coming in the United States as well. And so now more than ever, it's incumbent on us that when we're in relationship with a customer, we need to be paying attention to what they're sharing with us directly as opposed to counting on getting that information from other data sources. Now, that being said, when it comes to data sources, the report found that the average respondent used 10 different sources in 2021, 15 different sources in 2022, and plans to use 18 data sources in 2023. That's a lot of data. Uh, yeah, and it just goes to show how much data there is about each and every one of us floating around there in so many different places. Kind of scary. Kind of scary indeed. Well, the moral of the story is it's an exciting time. There's lots of changes. There's lots to do. But doubling down on the relationship with your customers and looking for ways to personalize the interactions with them never goes out of style. I'm going to conclude this segment with a quote that came from one of the respondents, Anna Villegas, a CMO at NI. And she said it beautifully. Today's marketing leaders have a huge challenge ahead of them when it comes to striking a balance between customer data, personalization, and trust. But there's also an opportunity. The brands who do this well have a chance to grow relationships and win customers for life. There's never been a more exciting time to be a marketer, and I'll add in, or a customer experience professional. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show, yay you. We're curious, was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. Yes.